Our scripture readings for today come from various passages in Proverbs. I just ask you to please follow along as I read through them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our in-person and live stream service. I want to welcome all of you for joining us today, and especially welcome those of you who are visiting us as our guests. If you're here at the mutual, uh, if you're here at the invitation of a mutual friend, coworker, or family member, thank you for granting us your presence both in person as well as online. Uh, before I go ahead and jump into prayer and go ahead into the sermon, I do want to piggyback off one of the announcements that Pastor Charles makes. I know we had a lot of announcements. I do apologize for having to extend one more announcement, and that's the announcement of next Sunday's outdoor service. You know, it was brought to our attention to the leadership of an issue that arose uh, because of next week's service, and that has to do with the fact of the sign-up. And I just want to address that real quickly, but first let me just say what an encouragement it is to know that more than a month on out, we had our entire sign-up filled in. You know, I almost didn't get a spot myself for my family, and I'm just so encouraged by the enthusiasm of so many in our community because I think it does testify to the love and unity that God has blessed our church with. But with that enthusiasm means that some people who wanted to attend next week's service are not able to because they were not able to sign up. And I want to briefly just talk about why we put a cap at the number that we did, which is 75, and also why we're asking people who did not sign up to not just show up randomly as uh, we heard there might be rumors of. You see, when we planned for this event uh, months ago, you know, we wanted to make sure that we got a pulse of where people were at as a congregation as well as considering CDC guidelines to ensure that everyone would be safe. And so what we did, if you recall, is put together a congregation survey. And from that survey, we discovered the vast majority of people who took the survey told us that most people would not show up if we had 100 or more people attending, but also a vast majority would show up if we had at least 50 people show up or more. And so from that, the leadership decided uh, that we would cut it in between and mark it at 75 as our cap. Now, little did we know that people would exceed that by voraciously signing up as possible. And so the D board at one point deliberated multiple times on whether we should increase that capacity but for two reasons we decided not to. First is, at the risk of losing our reservation and our inability to change the, um, what was it, the, uh, the permit in time to where we could ensure a spot, uh, we could not redo that, okay? But secondly, and more importantly, we realized that once we announced that number of 75, people signed up with the expectation that that would only be the number of people attending and we want to honor those people who signed up with the expectation that a certain number would be there instead of just letting it open for people to just come and go as they please. And so because of that, we are asking that you would really honor uh, the leadership 
by just making sure that if you did not sign up, please, please do not come uh, unannounced or unexpectedly. Please don't be discouraged by that. We love all of you. We love our church family, and we want all of us to gather all together as soon as possible. In fact, one of the things that we are uh, planning for is to try and have another picnic in the very, very near future, hopefully next month within a few weeks, okay? And we're going to make sure that we hit the max capacity so we can have everyone come who missed out uh, next week. So please, if you were planning to come unannounced, if you could just please just honor us and, and make sure that we honor those who signed up as well as what we've already committed to, uh, just please um, just stay at home and just be ready to party hardy the next time we have our picnic. Is party hardy still a word people use? Party hardy? No? Someone is nodding no with a very sighing eye. <sighs> no. So please be sure to do that. And be ready to picnic with us the next time we have our next um, uh, gathering. So, without further ado, would you now bow your heads in prayer with me? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us now as we gather together to hear your word. Father, we have gone through so much this past week, this past month, this past year. And we need your grace that comes by the power of the preaching of the word. A power that does not come from the speaker, but the one who speaks through him the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would encourage us, enlighten us, and equip us to be the people you call us to be. Hear us now and bless this message in spite of the one who brings it, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, the famed writer Mark Twain once said these words, I can live for two months on a good compliment. I can live for two months on a good compliment now of course that's not literally true no one can live for two months on just a good compliment just like no one can live beyond one month on just water alone and yet nevertheless what he says here does ring true from a spiritual standpoint and that is good words words that are kind can enliven a person just like a fresh cup of cold water can enliven a person who's been trekking through the hot desert sun for months excuse me for weeks you can't live beyond a month right When we speak words that are kind, when we speak words that are uplifting, when we speak words that are encouraging, it emanates joy and peace to the people around us. And as a result, joy and peace come back to us. But conversely, the opposite is true. When you are a person who speaks cruel, unkind, unedifying words, hatred, hostility will emanate out of you. And as a result, hatred and hostility will come back to you. And that, according to the book of Proverbs, is not the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom? Yes, the way of wisdom. What do I mean? Well, let me explain. But first, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Proverbs entitled, The Pursuit of Wisdom. And if you recall from a few sermons back, I defined wisdom as the practical skill of applying knowledge that results in your life being safe, stable, as well as successful and satisfying. Again, wisdom is the practical skill where you apply knowledge to your life that results in your life being safe and stable, as well as successful and satisfying. And one of the things that Proverbs teaches us is that those who are able to master their words to where it speaks good and kind ones is a surefire way of living that kind of life. 
Now, of course, you don't have to be a reader of Proverbs. You don't even have to be a Christian to agree with that sentiment because all of us in here have lived long enough to know that how we speak have a direct impact on the kind of life that we live. Consider these words from theologian Paul Tripp as he writes, quote, want to learn? Listen and talk. Want to have a relationship? Listen and talk. Want to parent your children? Listen and talk. Want to contribute? Listen and talk. People communicate, communicate, excuse me. It is the nature of our existence. Words affect all the other things we do as human beings. End quote. What's he saying? He's saying words are tools. Tools that wisdom uses to build up the kind of life that you want for yourself and for your loved ones. I'm talking about that safe, stable, successful, and satisfying life. And here in the passages that we're going to be looking at in Proverbs today, the author, King Solomon, is going to teach us how we can use these tools to build that very life. And so with that in mind, three things I'd like to share with you today. First, we're going to talk about the purpose of the power of words, the purpose of the power of words. Then we're going to talk about the properties our words should have. And then we're going to end it with the person whose words restore. The purpose of the power of our words, the properties our words should have. And finally, the person whose words restore. Let's begin with the first point, the purpose of the power of words. Now, I'm sure all of you in here by now have heard that little nursery rhyme that we're taught in little uh, nursery school, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. Or maybe you heard this variety. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me, sticks to you. <laughs> right? Ever since we are young, we are taught by our society that words have no real impact, no real influence over our lives. And yet we all know that is utterly untrue, evidenced by the numerous scars that we still carry because of the words that people have spoken to us throughout our lives, right? In fact, you could argue that one of the most influential, one of the most impactful forces upon us in all of reality are the words that we speak. I mean, think about it. A judge can speak a few words, and as a result, a person spends the rest of their life in prison, right? A celebrity can, can write certain words on their Twitter feed or Instagram account, and overnight, they're out of a job. A smooth-talking, smart-sounding professor can give a lecture, and a Bible-believing freshman can end up as a radical atheist next semester. A person, a man, can get on his knees with a ring open and utter four words and forever change a woman's life. Yes, indeed. Words have the power to impact and to influence us like any, unlike any other thing in God's created order, which is why King Solomon starts off by saying these words in Proverbs 18.21. Listen again to what he says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live it will eat its fruit. Notice how Solomon describes the power of words. How does he describe it? He says words have the power of life and death. Now you hear that and you're like, come on, Solomon. Aren't you being a little bit <clears throat> dramatic? Aren't you being a little bit overboard here? Really, life and death, words have the power of life and death? Don't be ridiculous. But he's not being ridiculous, folks, because he is using the words life and death the way the Bible periodically refers to life and death, and that is as synonyms for good and evil. Right? Good being life, evil being death. And when you understand that, then you grasp what Solomon's point is. Solomon is saying is that words have the power to do good, and it has the power to do evil. Now, I know 
most of us in this room have a tendency to see ourselves in a more positive light than we should. And as a result, we tend to think that the words that we speak are predominantly good kind of words, life-giving words, right? And it's for that reason I love the book of Proverbs because as you read it, it just shatters that kind of self-brandizing, self-delusion by giving us real punch-in-the-gut, pithy words of conviction. Consider this sampling. It starts off like this. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. As I read these two Proverbs to you, I imagine that, like me, you resonated more with the negative than the positive. And what I mean by that is you saw more of yourself of the person who speaks the kind of words that doesn't squash wrath but stirs up anger not bring healing but causes hurting you see in spite of what we may think of ourselves in spite of what we may say to others about ourselves the fact of the matter is we have a bad track history of speaking words that are predominantly evil words that bring death death to a relationship death to a person's esteem death to a sense of camaraderie and love you see and I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why we have such a bad track history with words is because we don't understand the purpose of the power of our words. Let me say that again. I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why we have such a bad history with our words is because we don't understand the purpose of the power of our words. And so let me remedy that now by telling you what that very purpose is according to the Bible. I draw your attention to Ephesians 4, where in verse 29, the Apostle Paul writes, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Here, Paul tells us directly what Solomon is telling us indirectly in our Proverbs passages. And that is, the primary purpose of our words is what? Encouragement. Encouragement. Now, I know for those of us who grew up going to church, attending Sunday school, we're familiar with that word, encouragement, or its many varieties. Encouraging, encourager, encourages. But what do we really mean by that word, encouragement? Well, to make sure that we're all on the same page here, I'd like to read to you a definition I came across that I think is very helpful because it's so spot on. This is what theologian Larry Crabb, how he defines encouragement. He writes, quote, the careful selection of words that are intended to influence another person meaningfully towards increased godliness, end quote. In other words, encouragement is the careful usages of your words that propel, that power people to want to be more like God when they receive your words. Okay? Encouragement is when you use your words carefully that propel, that power people to want to be more like God because of the words you give to them. To be godly, in other words. Now, let me make sure that you understand what I mean when I say godly. When I say that your words make another person feel more godly, I don't mean you make them feel more all-powerful, more all-knowing, more all-controlling. That's called enabling, and that's not usually a good thing that happens when you kiss someone's tush like that, right? No, when I say godliness, I mean godliness as described in Galatians chapter 5, where starting in verse 22, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Here, Paul tells us what it, tells us what it means to be a godly person. It's a person who exhibits these kinds of characteristics. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? That's what it means to be a godly person, or as Paul puts it, to have the fruit of the Spirit. Wait a minute. Fruit? Didn't we just come across that word not too long ago? Fruit? Yes, we did. Again, Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its what? Fruits. There it is. You know, for the longest time, as I read this proverb and meditated on it, I never understood what Solomon meant when he says that those who love the power of their words or those who live out the purpose of their words will love the fruit of it. But in light of what I just stated to you, I think I now know, and I think so do you. Because what Solomon is essentially saying is that when you live out the purposes of the power your words possesses, it causes the people around you to be sweet, like fruit. Because as you encourage people with your words, with the kind of words that God designed you to speak exclusively, it will cause people to be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more faithful, right? And as a result, they'll be more enjoyable to be around and therefore more enjoyable to you. You will eat its fruit, you see? And here we see the primary purpose to the power of our words. Your words are designed by God so that you can make the people around you be more enjoyable to you. That is the reason why God gave you the power of speech. That is the reason why you're able to talk the way you are, why you have a tongue, so that you would speak words that will create a social atmosphere that will be very sweet and delightful, just like a crisp watermelon on a hot summer day, you see? That is the primary purpose of your words. Now, you hear that, and honestly, it sounds challenging. It sounds daunting. It sounds overwhelming. How in the world do we even begin to how to speak in that way that results in that kind of fruit? Can you help me out, PJ? Can you give me some concrete examples of how to do it? Let me see if I can try by going to my next point, the properties words you have. Let's read our passages from Proverbs 15 and 12. Let's read it all together in one reading. It goes like this. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season. How good it is. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Come on back. From these three verses, we see three specific purposes that our words must have if we want to fulfill the purposes of the power our words contain. Three properties, excuse me, three properties, okay? And they are as follows. First property, our words must be thoughtful. Secondly, our words must be timely. And finally, our words must be truthful. If we want to fulfill the purpose to the power of our words, we must exhibit these three properties in our words. It must be thoughtful, it must be timely, it must be truthful. Okay, let's go through them. First, our words must be thoughtful. Read again Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Notice Solomon is comparing the words of a righteous person versus the words of a wicked person. And what's the difference? The righteous person ponders before he speaks, right? He pauses and he ponders what he says before he says it. But the wicked, what do they do with their words? They just pour it out, right? As if there's no filter, there's no restraint, there's no thought and no thinking whatsoever. Let me ask, have you ever said something and the moment you said it, you immediately regretted it, huh? 
I know I have many times. In fact, I clearly remember the day I got ordained as a pastor, I made this vow to myself. Of course, that wasn't the only time I made this vow, but I made this vow. I promise I will never speak before thinking. And I haven't stayed true to that vow, right? Because I have responded to people in such a way that I didn't think before I spoke whether it be through a a disrespectful comment from one of my children, getting a critical email from a member of our church, or a nasty text from that person who only texts me whenever they want to get something off their chest, pastor, right? And I, to my shame, to my discredit, said things without thinking. And you know what? I bet you can relate to that problem as well. See, so much of our life could be free of so much drama If we would get into the habit of thinking before we speak, but so often we don't because we let the emotions of the situation get the better of us, right? Or we're so consumed of wanting to impress this person or not disappoint them. And so we utter words without thinking, whether it's words of aggression to put people in their place or words of promise that we have no way of fulfilling. Whatever you want to call it, they're all the same. They're words of folly. And here Solomon is telling us one simple thing so that we would have the first property of good words. Think before you speak. Just think before you speak. Because here's the truth of the matter. You can never take back words that you say, either through your mouth or through your keyboard, but you can always control the words you say before you say them, audibly or through text. You see? Now let's move on to the second property our words should have, and that's timeliness. Again, Proverbs 15, verse (coughs) 23, we read, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. You know, they say that um, timing is everything. You've heard that phrase before? Timing is everything, and that is especially true when it comes to our words, because one of the things that Proverbs teaches us is that our words should not only be well thought out, previous point, but also should be well-timed, well-timed. See, one of the things that you need to understand is that there is an appropriate time and place for you to speak, but there's also, conversely, an inappropriate time for you to speak, and you need to know the difference. Consider, again, these samplings of Proverbs. Proverbs 27 14. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> Good morning, Daddy. Proverbs 25 20. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. Here you have two different instances conveying the same problem, the lack of readiness, where the person who you are speaking to was not ready to receive the words that you thought they needed to hear, right? Why? Because they're in a circumstance or they're in a situation, right, whether it's too early in the morning or too early in the grieving process to where they cannot handle, they cannot receive, They cannot hear the things that you feel compelled to tell them. And yet, this is where I see Christians failing so often when it comes to their words. Because all in the spirit of, I just got to get this off my chest, they just blurt out whatever they think they need to say to somebody. Because they think, hey, so long as what I'm saying is truthful, it doesn't matter how I say, when I say, what I need to say. Wrong. Wrong. Let me ask you. Have you ever spoken the truth to someone, but instead of getting the response that God says in his word, truthful words should convey, namely they should be more godly, they should be more grateful because of it? They're the exact opposite. They're ungrateful, and they become more ungodly in reaction to your words. Now, you could 
you know, brush that off as them being immature or them being sinful. But it could be that you're the one who's immature. It could be you're the one that's sinful because you did not discern on the timeliness of your words. And what's so sad about all that is that all of it could have been avoided if you would just ask this one simple question. Is this person ready to hear these words? Because maybe they're not for a variety of reasons. Maybe the circumstance, the situation just makes your truthful words inappropriate. Or maybe you're not the person to say it. You don't have the relational collateral. You don't have the credibility in their eyes to where your words, as truthful as it may be, carries any weight to them. You see, here's something that you need to understand. Words, yes, they must have truth. But in order to prevent that truth to be spoiled, it must be well-timed. Because if it's not well-timed, those truthful words will elicit a response that is the complete opposite of what God designed truthful words to elicit. It won't produce godliness. It won't produce gratitude. It'll be ungodly, and people will not be happy because of it. You see? Now let's move on to the third property that our word should have, and that is truthfulness. Truthfulness. Read again Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endures forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Now you're like, Pastor, do we need to go over this property? After all, we're Christians, most of us. We're at a church, and we all know that we should always speak the truth. So why even go over this? This is not a problem for us. Oh, really? It's not? Do you think gossip is a problem in the church today? Huh? What do you think gossip is? I cannot tell you as a pastor how I've witnessed personally so many lives, so many families, so many churches destroyed because of gossip. And whose mouth is those untruthful words coming out of? Christians, people who go to church, people like us, places like this. Consider these words from Pastor Anthony Salvaggio. He writes, quote, As a pastor, I learned that nothing is more destructive to the health of a church than gossip. How sadly true is the testimony of Proverbs 16:28? A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Gossip is inherently destructive to community, destroys relationships, and causes division. It separates close friends. Gossip is a destructive force in the church because Christians who speak it are more interested in something else besides the truth. And you know what it is? It's that sense of feeling significant, that sense of feeling special because you have inside knowledge. You have the scoop of some gritty, ooh, salacious knowledge that you're so eager to pass off. And that kind of attitude is not interested in promoting godliness in yourself to the person you're sharing the gossip with and certainly not the person you're gossiping about. Does the church have a problem with speaking the truth? Oh, yes, it does. Because this thing known as gossip does the exact opposite of what I said the purpose of our word should be. It does not promote godliness. It does not promote a sweetness in the people around you. It separates close friends, you see. Our words must be truthful always. So there you have it. The three properties our words must have if we want to fulfill the purposes of the words, of the power that our words have, okay? It must be thoughtful, timely, and truthful. But I know you hear that, and you might feel overwhelmed. Because let's be honest, who of us in here have not 
had the frequent problem of speaking without thinking, of just always wanting to get things off our chest, of wanting to know more about the inside scoop of some little salacious knowledge that you are aware of. We all have the consistent and chronic problem of our words lacking in these properties, not being filled with them. And so the question is, what do we do so that we can have the kind of words that God created us to speak? Well, the answer leads me to my final point, the person whose words restored. Let's read our last Proverbs passage today, Proverbs 27, verse 2. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Here's Solomon tells us the logical inference of what he said earlier about the purpose of the power of our words, which I said earlier is to encourage people. And what is that inference? It's basically this. Your words are designed by God to encourage others. It's not designed to encourage yourself. Or if I could put it another way, God created you to speak so that you could build others up, not build yourself up, okay? Now, of course, that begs the question, how do we get encouraged? How do we get built up by words if it's not our own words, pastor? Solomon tells us right here, a stranger has to speak those words of praises to you, a stranger. Now, don't get thrown off by that whole idea of a stranger because Solomon's point is not so much about a person who doesn't know you and you don't know them. Rather, his emphasis is on the objectivity of that person praises of you. Let me explain. You know, if one of my five beautiful children come up to me and say, Daddy, that sermon today was out of the park. Awesome, Daddy. I'll feel great. I'll feel really good. But if a random stranger I've never met who's never been to our church, never heard any of my sermons, comes up to me and says, Preacher, I met Jesus because of you. I'm forever changed. I'm going to feel even greater. Why? Because that stranger's praises of me, I know, is not motivated by any ulterior motives like getting candy or staying up for a movie night, right? And their words have some objectivity that cannot be discredited or cannot be in any way refuted with biases or ulterior motives. And Solomon is saying, that's the kind of praises you need to receive so that you could have the wherewithal to speak the kind of words God calls you to speak. And the Bible makes it clear, the only source for that kind of word of encouragement, that kind of praise, is found in the gospel, in the gospel alone. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says God has every right to discourage us with his words. He has every right to speak words of hatred, words of rejection, words of hostility, words of condemnation, words of death. Why? Because you and I, we are broken. We are wretched. We are perverted. We are sinister. We are selfish. We are sinners. And yet God chooses not to respond in that way, but instead he speaks to us in the opposite way. Acceptance, approval, affection. How can God speak to us that way, knowing who we are and knowing what we do and still do? The answer is found in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we read, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the places of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. According to the book of Hebrews, God is able to speak the way that He does because of Jesus. 
Because what did Jesus do? Jesus, the eternal son of God, came into the world to be the mortal human being, Jesus Christ. So why? He could come and pay the full debt, pay the full penalty, suffer the full punishment for all of our sins to those who put their faith in him as their Lord and Savior so that we would be forgiven, so that our sins would be forever forgotten, and the righteousness that Jesus accrued for himself as he lived the perfect life would be credited to us, and now the Father looks at us the way he looks at his own begotten Son, perfect, righteous, worthy of praise. And those words of praises cannot be refuted. They cannot be taken aback. They cannot be biased. They are objectively, cosmically, eternally true forever. You see? And when you understand that your God does all this because he loves you, that love changes the property of your words where they take on the properties that God commands our words to have. Because think about it. Why do people speak without thinking? You know why? It's because of the fear of rejection, right? You get that critical email. You get that mean text. You get that disrespectful sentence, right? And what are those words conveying to you? I reject you. You are reject worthy, right? And so you respond with aggression by trying to put that person back in their place. Or you try to respond with appeasing them, making promises you can't keep. But if you have a sense of acceptance that's eternal, that's permanent, from the person that really matters, you're not going to fear any rejection no matter how vicious the words are coming at you. Because you can pause, you can ponder, and one of the things that you ponder is how you're accepted by God through Jesus, and then you can respond with thoughtfulness. Why do people speak with a lack of timeliness? You know why? Because they lack empathy. They're not able to put themselves in the shoes of another person to where they could say, to themselves, if I was this person, would I be able to hear what I want to say to them, right? But we, when you remember the gospel literally tells us that Jesus took our place, literally, to suffer for our sins, now you have an example to follow. Now you have a model to imitate to how you can be empathetic towards others, where you, like Jesus, can take the place of another and position yourself and say, okay, if I was this person, right, what would I think? How would I feel? if I said these words that I'm thinking of saying to them. You see? Why do people gossip? I already told you. Because this knowledge they have makes them feel special, makes them feel significant. But when you know that it's the knowledge of the gospel that gives you the greatest significance, the greatest status, you're not going to be tempted with inferior, imitative forms of status that you get through the knowledge of gossip. And so you refrain and you promote unity you promote love don't you see it is only through the gospel that our words are able to fulfill the properties they are to have so that we can create a social environment that is sweet for everyone that is encouraging that is enjoyable for everyone you see this my friends is what our society needs now more than ever because in a world that is eager to curse that is eager to cancel that is eager to condemn the world is in need of a society that can show an alternative where words actually bring life, not death. The question I have for you, NCF, is are you speaking those words? Let's pray. Father, we all understand 
that words carry impact and weight. And yet so often, Father, we don't see the significance of that and we become very careless in our words. Father, I pray that we would be a church that would really feel the burden and the responsibility of the words that we speak and that we would see our words as a means to bring glory to you and bring good to this earth. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have been so heartless, so careless. Father, just so thoughtless in the way that we have spoken. Help us instead to be different. Help us to remember the gospel so that through it we would apply this truth today. And from it, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our city, our world will be better off because of it. Oh, Father, would you hear us now? For we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're not going to give